Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Ferropoint Group podcast. My name is Adir Levitas, and I'm the founder and CEO of Ferropoint, a tech-enabled real estate investment manager that focuses on inefficiencies in the marketplace to achieve superior risk-adjusted return. We have an amazing guest with us today and someone who's become a good friend and mentor. Until recently, he has been vice chairman and managing director of CBRE's Global Industrial Capital Markets. Jack, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Jack Verger has more than 30 years of real estate experience specializing in the sale of investment properties for institutional clients, as well as tenant representations for corporate clients, office and industrial. Jack has leased and also sold over 1.5 billion square feet and approximately 12,000 acres of development sites in more than 60 US cities, as well as in Mexico, Europe, and South America. Well, Jack, we're living through interesting times, uh, witnessing uh, geopolitical unrest, especially due to the atrocities and humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, coupled with uh, inflationary pressures resulting predominantly from disruptions in global supply chain. It's no surprise that the market is filled with uncertainty. So far, the impacts have been minimal and somewhat indirect to industrial real estate, but that may starting is may starting to change. So how do you feel about this? And have you seen this um, in the past in your career? Yes, it is unusual times we're experiencing now at the moment for all the reasons you just uh, mentioned. And, uh, but I have seen other cycles in years past. The one that comes immediately to mind is the great financial crisis, 2008, 9, 10, 11, uh, maybe a little bit of 12. And uh, it started in the summer of 07. And I remember that year in particular, we were having record production in the first half of 07. And then our, our activities started to drop off dramatically. And that cycle went on for several years. years. It affected uh, the investment sales business where I was active. It also affected the public REITs. Uh, it affected everybody. But we got through it. And in fact, uh, since 2012, we've had over 10 years of positive absorption, uh, much more controls are in place for new construction. We've had record uh, rental rate growth. So we've had over a decade of recovery and beyond. So and the other cycles, I remember uh, the, the dot-com bubble burst in the year 2000. That was relatively short-lived and mostly affected markets around the country that had a concentration of technology companies the Silicon Valley, for example, comes to mind. But this, that, that cycle in the great financial crisis was the longest one. And I don't know if we're going into something of that uh, serious nature this time. Yeah, th thank you for that, color. Um, it seems that every time we go into uh, something that seems to be like a downturn, like when, the, um, when COVID hit um, on, you know, in, March, um, in March 2020, it seems that we're going to go into something very bad. And uh, fortunately, you know, those things uh, unravel um, sometimes quickly and we understand uh, where the market is going. Um, but we know that some of this cause for inflationary pressure that caused the Fed to raise the interest rate is also because the global supply chain globally situation. Um, do you think we've seen the worst of, of that? And are we coming to an ease anytime soon? From the reports I read, we are coming to a conclusion uh, relatively soon, and major manufacturers around the world are adjusting their own supply chains to catch back up. 
Uh, here in the United States, our neighbor to the south is Mexico, and the uh, Mexican industrial real estate market is, is actually very positive right now. So many manufacturers from Asia are setting up factories and distribution in Mexico to shorten the supply chain from Asia. So that could, we could start to see the benefit from that change uh, near term. I do know I tried to go out and buy, look at a car this weekend, and they told me I would have to wait until October or November because the wire harnesses, especially in European cars, they're manufactured in the Ukraine. So that's a very real example of supply chain interruption that was unanticipated. But usually the big manufacturers find a way to shorten the supply chain, get back on track. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be later in this year when we see that get uh, more manageable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, good news. Um, and, and I'm also hearing that um, smaller ships are supposed to be manufactured sometimes uh, and delivered by 2023 that are supposed to allow, um, you know, to move some of those uh, uh, ship traffic through the Panama Canal to the um, uh, eastern side uh, ports and, you know, um, and take some of that pressure down from LA Long Beach and, and you know, the west side um uh, Paul. So, so hopefully those things would, you know, come to his um, uh, soon. Do you think that meanwhile, and maybe even not just the short term, but also medium term, we're supposed to see that impacting uh, industrial real estate um, in, in some way, if it's the, 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 the debt that's becoming more expensive, or if it's, you know, the fundamentals, uh, the, the supply and demand that has to do with, uh, you know, any imbalance that as a result may happen from what we, you know, talked about. Yes. Actually, I have one more comment on the supply chain discussion we were just having, which Mm -hmm. is that uh, it could have a positive impact on uh, warehouse and distribution. Most companies will now uh, have additional uh, capacity in their warehouse. They will have additional inventory on hand to contemplate an interruption of the supply chain. We saw that at the beginning of COVID and and you mentioned COVID as a previous cycle and that was called safety stock. Every uh, occupier uh, planned for an additional 5% square feet in their warehouse requirement so they could have as much as six weeks or two months of inventory on hand. That had a positive impact for those of us in the industrial real estate and warehouse business. Now we're seeing more global geopolitical supply chain interruptions. So industry observers are predicting that occupiers will add on an additional 5% of capacity in their warehouse. So 5% from COVID, 5% from this geopolitical situation, that's an additional 10% that each tenant theoretically will put into their floor plan. And that equals tremendous amount of absorption uh, across the United States. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned uh, interest rates. So interest rates are something that we really have to watch. Uh, historically, there has not always been a direct correlation between interest rates and US cap rates. That's been especially true that there has not been a correlation recently because rental rate growth has far exceeded uh, interest rate increases. And even now, uh, recent uh, speakers I heard 
are predicting that interest rate increases, which are very high, are, are not going to be uh, impacting cap rates dramatically uh, for a couple more years, and if at all. And it's because the rental rate growth is so significant that it will exceed uh, increases in interest rates, and the uh, it'll also exceed inflationary uh, forecasts. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, do you think that the consumer, the American consumer, the fact that its balance sheet is strong um, helps with that? Because obviously um, many problems could be with the supply chain that would make those tenants need more space, but their end user um, most of the time would have to consume that. How, how do you view that, uh, uh, the U.S. consumer in, in the upcoming years? Yeah, so the, the U.S. consumer, that's a very good point because you and I, as a consumer, those costs will ultimately be passed through to us. Uh, but you know, the big picture is that real estate costs are a relatively small component of the cost of uh, supply chain costs for major corporations. It's more labor, it's more transportation, and real estate is five or six or seven percent of the overall cost equation. However, if all those costs start to go up, Uh, consumer sentiment could change and uh, the consumers may ultimately say, stop, stop passing those expense increases on to me. But most most people are are worried about it now, but they're not overly uh, dramatically concerned about it. We think we have it under control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I see that. I think as long as the wage is is also growing, uh, the salaries are growing, that helps consumers to uh, uh, to pay that extra, um, even though it's not growing in the pace of inflation. Um, and the fact that um, uh, the rent is only five to 10% of a logistics operation, um, th- th- that is true. But what do you think about the fact that rent has uh, risen past few years, sometimes 50 to 100%? Uh, at a certain point, uh, logistics operations margins are becoming so slim, we may start to see some of those tenants um, uh, struggling. Um, do you see that? And, and, and what do you think about that, Victor? I think that the rental rate growth could begin to uh, taper. And so it's had dramatic increases, as you mentioned, around the country, it, it, it changes. You know, markets like Los Angeles have significant double digit rental rate increases. Other markets around the country are single digit, but it's still, dramatic uh, rental rate growth. So at some point in time, that could begin to taper. Um, I will say this, you know, my long career, there, there, was, there was never as many uh, controls in place as there are now when it comes to speculative construction. So most of the, uh, the new development around the country is sponsored by smart institutional equity providers and they are going to be very careful about an oversupply situation. So for the moment, we're still seeing record low uh, vacancy rates all across the country, in some cases, less than 1% vacancy. So as long as we have a control on on new supply, uh, I think we we still can experience a rental rate growth over the next few years. And it it could taper in some parts of the country or some specific submarkets, but um, Ordinarily, I think we're going to be in, in good shape for rental rate growth to continue, maybe not at the record levels, though. Mm-hmm. The, the case for uh, big box uh, supply versus uh, smaller industrial uh, shallow base supply, 
Um, how do you think about that? Do you see the big developers doing both? Um, and, and you see certain pockets maybe um, hitting us an over um, supply point? I don't know, like the 50 million square feet under construction in, in Dallas. How, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's always important to segment the inventory of warehouse properties. And let's face it, it's exciting and uh, dramatic for a developer to go out and build a million square foot building. And that, that those big buildings have skewed the uh, new construction has been oriented towards those types of properties. There are, there are not many developers building the light industrial uh, property type, smaller tenant property type. So I, I do not anticipate any overbuilding whatsoever for the smaller tenant buildings. Uh, you could have some overbuilding on the million square footers and that's something to watch. However, as I said earlier, most of those million square foot projects have smart institutional capital behind them and they, they do not start a new project unless they know the status of everything else that's vacant in the market. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just something to, to watch. And I would say for smaller tenants that go into the light industrial category, as we call it, they are, they, those buildings in some cases may be 10, 20, 30 years old. Some of those buildings may be older than you are, Adir. But, yeah. uh, but those buildings, they could have obsolete physical features, but the tenants that occupy those types of buildings, uh, they don't require the huge clear height, clear stacking height, or the giant truck aprons that a million square foot modern building would require. So I believe the light industrial sector is, is going to have a lot, lot of years remaining ahead of it and very few new projects that would come in and compete. I mean, light industrial buildings, uh, they, they were last mile before there was such an expression as last mile. They were always building that was close, that were the closest to the uh, population and the, the, the expression infill means that they might have been on the perimeter of the city when they were built in 1985 or you know years past but now there's there's as much population surrounding these infill buildings that it's irreplaceable locations and it's you know it's irreplaceable because there's no vacant land around those types of buildings and the, the buildings are modern enough uh, with clear height and the truck aprons are suited for local delivery trucks uh, so it, I think it's a property type that will exist for years and years. In the uh, UK, they have the expression uh, urban logistics. I think that's a good way to, to describe that asset class. And it's, it's a, you're starting to see one or two examples around the country where a developer goes in and maybe uh, tears down an old building and builds a new one. And, and they're getting rents for those types of developments that are twice as high as any other rental rate in that submarket, And that just shows that the tenant is prepared to pay whatever rent it takes for that irreplaceable location where customers know where they are, suppliers know where they are, uh, other trucking companies know where they are. So it's, it's just, a, I think it's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, that's great insight. I think that uh, some of those uh, smaller sites are being developed into multi-story uh, warehouses, uh, but you don't see that uh, a lot. I think you have a few examples in, in Seattle and in the New York area, um, but um, I don't think rental rate has come to a point to justify 
um, multi-story warehouses across the country. Yeah, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And usually that is in very dense urban areas. Uh, New York City, maybe you could have, a, you could see a demand for that. Uh, maybe Seattle, maybe San Francisco, maybe uh, Boston. But the rest of the country, you, you've, you've got enough land nearby to build buildings and still have access to the uh, population. Uh, so I don't, I don't foresee a tremendous amount of uh, multi-level, multi-story buildings. So it, it's, and you, you know, you go to Tokyo, which has no land, and you have uh, buildings there that are 10 levels, 10 stories. And wow. each, each level in the building is 100,000 square feet. So you might have a million square foot building that's just, that's 10 stories. But we're not like that here in the United States, maybe with a few exceptions, such as greater New York City area and, and maybe Seattle. But I don't see that happening too much. Wow, that, that, that is uh, exceptional. Uh, one more point on supply. Uh, recently, we've heard uh, the um, Amazon's earning release and their CFO saying that they have excess capacity and they're going to go, um, uh, you know, going to lower their uh, capital expenditure uh, with that. And so Amazon has been the big um, player in the market now uh, cooling down. Uh, do you think this is a sign for uh, the other uh, bigger big players? And do you think that that demand uh, is going to be taken by other players as, as we go? Yes, actually. So I, I've been reading those articles and talking to people and Amazon. Uh, maybe has too much space. They are over capacity. They want to take some time to absorb that square feet into their own supply chain. Uh, in the interim period, other companies, other retailers especially, are trying to catch up with Amazon's strength in the online shopping sector. You know, you can mention companies like Walmart, Target, uh, all those major companies such as that are going to, they're developing their own online systems in addition to their footprint of retail stores. And there's, I've heard examples uh, just as recently as a couple of days ago where uh, Walmart or Target will take a building that was going to be an Amazon building. I've also heard that Amazon has, uh, has subleased some space that was uh, excess capacity and they're achieving uh, 93, 95 cents on the dollar on their subleases. So that just shows that there is additional tenant demand for those types of buildings and locations where Amazon was putting its uh, big buildings. So that so it's it's something to keep our eye on. Uh, I I I really like uh, Amazon stock. I like the online secular change we're having in our shopping patterns. I think the statistics, and you would know this probably better than me, but in the U.S., it's uh, 14, 15 percent of all retail sales are uh, online. And that figure is projected to be 30% uh, or more within the next five or seven years. Interesting. Um, and so to, to, to do all of that, and really um, uh, we're seeing a tremendous growth um, in industrial real estate, not just rental rates, but also new supply, I think, um, marking more than 400 million square feet of construction uh, coming in. Uh, do you think, how do you think about um, lack of employees um, and the fact that those tenants actually need to start operations? And it, it's so hard that we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing minimum wage increase uh, tremendously. We're seeing things that we haven't seen in the past. Uh, the shortage of truck drivers, uh, the shortage of, uh, uh, you know, qualified workforce. 
How do you think about that uh, a little bit um, uh, tampering the potential growth that the sector is um, poised to have? Yes, it's, it's something we have to watch and be very careful about. I will say that innovation and technology uh, is really helping in that regard. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's robotics, there's more sophisticated forklifts, computerized uh, systems in warehouses that maybe reduces the amount of labor that you need in a typical warehouse. So that's starting to happen. Uh, there's several major uh, companies in Europe and the US and around the world that are robotic uh, warehouse jobs. Also with autonomous vehicles, such as, uh, you know, which is especially relevant for tractor trailers for you know, long hauls across the country, that, that will help pick up some of the uh, slack that we are seeing for truck drivers. I mean, it's not a very uh, glamorous job to be a truck driver, and, and I think it's a, there's actually some health issues and, those, uh, and, and the aging workforce for truck drivers. Average age of a truck driver, I think, is in the upper 50s, I've read someplace. But with autonomous trucks, and then better systems that these truck driving companies provide better amenities for their employees, keeps, keeps the labor on board longer, uh, shorter routes, autonomous trucks. So we have to watch it, but I think technology will help us in the end for both the warehouse labor and the truck drivers. Mm -hmm. um, so summing all of this um, up and um, um, you know, hearing our discussion about supply, demand, what's happening globally in supply chain, um, and some of the recent changes, where do you see today um, the opportunities um, in industrial real estate um, in the U.S.? Is it uh, in, in, in new construction? Is it uh, uh, buying the urban-related assets? Is it the big 15-year uh, Amazon lease? Uh, considering where debt is going, uh, where do you think there's an interesting opportunity? I think the interesting opportunity still remains the uh, infill urban logistics, light industrial. In many ways, that is the last opportunity to buy properties uh, at or below, in some cases, below replacement cost. And uh, those tenants, as we said earlier, they really need that location. They can absorb some, uh, they can actually absorb more rental rate growth than some of the million square foot tenants. So I think that's the best opportunity uh, to, to focus on. The 1 million square foot buildings usually have long-term leases, 10 years, 15 year leases. And those are getting very difficult to finance, especially as the US uh, treasury rates uh, increase. Uh, there's a, you know, some, some lenders can't ma match those. Uh, you can't get the same debt you could six months ago. And then some investors go on to say, I could just buy an Amazon bond. Uh, you know, instead of paying a really low cap rate for an Amazon building. So we're starting to see that. So I, I think the opportunities really exist for the uh, light industrial urban logistics. And there's a new opportunity, I think, which would be to build buildings of that type, smaller tenant profile buildings. And, you know, it has to be carefully uh, a good pro forma put together, but you can buy properties, older properties, tear them down, and build something that's small tenant oriented. And I think that's a, a good opportunity. There's examples in Dallas and Los Angeles and other parts of the country where developers are tearing down office buildings and building small tenant warehouse. 
So I still remain very focused on the small tenant uh, segment of our business. Well, that uh, that that's great. Um, I'm probably good to our business, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, when when thinking about uh, debt, and that has become a big issue now. Um, and um, you know, I used to think that that is uh, uh, one of the things that are easier for large institutions, um, and some of and it's harder for private owners. Uh, but now, in this specific case, I almost think the opposite. We see large institutions. Um, sometimes um, unable to place uh, the debt they want to place um, just because of where that uh, trend is is going. And we see that the large debt markets like the CMBS and the life companies have almost dried out because of the uncertainty. Um, and so what's what's left out there is is the banking uh, is bank debt, um, which is many times based on short-term uh, SOFR that has replaced uh, the LIBOR and creates that opportunity. Uh, and so I would just add to the things you've said uh, that I think um, uh, if a um, uh, a buyer has good debt secured in a facility or any other way, then that has become an advantage today. And, and, and some sellers are willing to accept a lower price uh, if you have good debt um, and uh, prob- high probability of execution. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think? yeah. I think so. So whenever we whenever we would handle a sales assignment in years past, we really focused on that particular aspect, the debt in place. It's become even more important now. So that's, you know, sellers and their advisors need to ask very probing questions and actually in some cases get the lenders involved to understand that the debt is is ready to go. And it is, you know, it's a it's it's a volatile time in the market and debt, debt changes quite often and geopolitical issues, the Federal Reserve Board, inflation, all these things are coming into play, but you can still get financing. In some cases, it might be slightly more expensive, which means that the buyer may, uh, may, may be really more focused on pricing than they would have been ordinarily, but you can still get these transactions to complete. You just have to have make sure you understand everything up front. Yeah. Well, well, this is this is interesting times, um, and uh, I, I still think that it's um, it's very much a seller's market uh, still for industrial real estate. And uh, um, you know, as as we discussed, um, you know, rental rate um, outpacing uh, inflation and and really challenging uh, supply market. Uh, it's been a great conversation, Jack. It's always so nice to uh, speak with you and. Um, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm privileged um, um, to be able to consult with you uh, offline and online. Um, and so thank you for joining us to this podcast. Thank you very much. And the feeling is mutual, Adir. Thank you, Jack. And, and thanks for our viewers. And we'll see you in the next uh, podcast episode. Thank you. Thank you.